on 98FM and online. This is Phoenix FM. Algorithm with me, James Roast, the show that talks all things mental health, emotional well-being, and what we can do to make us that little bit happier. Now, um, I've got an absolutely jam-packed show for you today because uh, the guest I have for you is a very special guest, and we've got so much to talk about that we're going to be splitting this over two shows. Uh, so it's double delight for you. But let me tell you a little bit about my guest. Um, so he is a world record-breaking explorer. He's an endurance athlete and a speaker. He believes that through the outdoors, we can change lives. His mission is to rewild humans. To date, he's covered almost 2,000 miles on foot in the polar region spending more than 26,000 hours in isolation. 26,000 hours. Um, If you believe Gladwell's 10,000 hour rule, that makes him a master of remote hostile environments. At the age of 14, my guest was part of a team that swam the English Channel. Before turning 17, he'd swum the length of Lake Zurich. He'd swum and circumnavigated Barbados and New York's Manhattan Island. And during this time, my guest was a was actually ranked number one in the world in the UK, sorry, for Ted Traflon. At the age of 19, my guest completed the world's longest fully unsupported polar journey, 1,374 miles on foot, a feat described by Sir Ranulph Fiennes, the world's greatest living explorer, as genuinely groundbreaking. Since then, my guest's expeditions have included the archipelago of Antarctica, cycling across Europe, climbing unnamed peaks, driving northwest Africa, and sailing the southern Atlantic and Pacific Oceans. My guest has guided over 350 people of all ages in the Amazon rainforest, the Indian subcontinent, Greenland ice cap, and Svalbard the Svalbard region. Uh, In September 2016, my guest completed a second world first, 66 days in a kayak crossing the ferocious North Atlantic Ocean from Greenland to Scotland. The purpose, you ask? To test the theory that Inuits may have made this same journey in 1700 AD. 
D. Uh, now, my guest is uh, he's doing more, more and more and more. And his new project uh, later this year demands a return to sub minus 40 temperatures. This is the Dark Ice Project, a pivotal barometer to the health of our planet. More is known about the surface of the moon than the Arctic Ocean in winter. And decisions affecting our planet's future rely heavily on new data collected firsthand by my guest and his team while surviving in a sunless Arctic winter. The gathering of original evidence and the opportunity to share his own experience motivates my guest to inspire others to embrace our natural world. Not everyone needs to tackle the world's most hostile environments for an adventure. Everyone has their own Everest. And my guest hopes to encourage people to understand that adventures will give them something that nobody else can. Uh, please give a massive, massive happiness algorithm welcome to Mr. George Bullard, Explorer. Uh, George, how are you doing? James, good morning. I'm very well indeed. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me on. That introduction, uh, I think, uh, was uh, hugely inflammatory <laughs> and it is just me. Uh, I'm just George. <laughs> and uh, you know, thanks so much for having me on. Uh, it's great. Well, to be I'm here. delighted to have you on the show. And as I say, we've uh, we've spoken a lot off air, and it, and it's evident that actually, uh, I I think that you're you're very modest and and humble uh, in your dilution of the introduction because, you know, you have scowled and you have achieved and you have accomplished and overcome some incredible feats uh which which we will explore during today's show well in fact uh delighted to let the listeners know but this will be spread over two shows because you have you have overcome and explored so much uh of the planet and will continue to do so so it's only fair that we don't uh we don't rob the listeners of uh, some of those stories and we do spread this over two shows um but for the listeners george um give them a little bit of a background, uh, I mean, on top of the introduction there, of who you are and sort of what you do, as it were. Totally, man. It's a, I guess, firstly, I, I, what I'd like to say is that, is that uh, doing this sort of thing takes an incredibly small brain. Um, so, you know, before anyone thinks that, uh, that I have biceps the size of Berlin and rippling abs and, um, and a brain bigger than Bournemouth, uh, I don't. <laughs> a lot of this takes... Uh, a, a lot of uh, persistence, a lot of the sort of monotony, and hence, you know, it's, it's important to have a small brain to to get through some of this stuff. But as you say, I mean, uh, I'm I'm so pleased to be on here because I, I so passionately believe uh, in the power of the outdoors, especially when it comes to searching for, uh, I guess, happiness and the ultimate contentment. I think that's a a lovely phrase to to remind ourselves that you know we aren't seeking to be a happier version of ourselves we're seeking a contentment where we are happy with ourselves in our current state and i passionately believe as you rightly said in the, in the power of the outdoors to bring us that sense of uh, a sense of contentment that sense of fulfillment that sense of, of happiness i guess in our current skins and uh, i I think it would be uh, rem remiss of me not to not to mention um, really how I've got into this adventure world, how I have uh, I guess funded it. I think would be an important question. So, um, as you rightly rightly pointed out, it started when I was a very young boy, um, 
And I think it even started before I was 14. And I think actually it starts with everyone before they're 14. So as children, picture this little story with me. As children, remember back to when you were a kid and maybe you might have kids yourself and they're curious, they're inquisitive. They have a sense of wanderlust and energy that leads them to be uh, to, to to leave no stone unturned they, they have a an energy to climb every tree and you know pull on every every chair and pull on everything that's on the work surface you know and sometimes it goes badly wrong and other times uh they end up you know learning something about themselves and it really i think the basis of why i do all this uh stuff and why i love it and why i'm now extremely passionate about the power of it is I, I have basically clung on to that curiosity. I've clung on to that inquisitive nature that we all have as kids. And I think that through some point in growing up, it's rationalised out of us. And suddenly we become people who, you know, get on the tube every day and go into work, or commute into work, you know, in the car, on the tube, on public transport. You know, we plug in our headphones, we plug in our, our our radios and we put a grumpy face on and we're going to the office. And, and and I totally understand. I've been there and I've gone through that and it does make me grumpy. But I still was clung on to that, that, that inquisitive nature, which has led me into into this path and led me to cling on to every single adventure I possibly could. Um, and and it, it's. Some people say it's an addiction and maybe I do need to get some help for it, but I'm very open about my adventures. I don't sort of necessarily hide it away. Um, and a problem shared is a problem halved. So my addiction, I think, is, uh, is halved between lots of people. And I'm delighted to be able to share my addiction uh, for the benefit, hopefully, of others. And hopefully throughout the next hour or throughout the next two episodes, uh, me and you will be able to come up with some great little sound bites that might be useful for some people uh, in their endeavours to climb. Well, I couldn't numbers. agree more. And and just it, it, it's it's captivating and, and, and almost mesmerising listening to you there, George, because, um, you know, you talk about sound, sound bites and, and some of the some of that sort of, uh, you know, speech that you just gave there um, what, what was really interesting because the 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 curiousness and the exploration uh, and and the inquisitive nature of the of the child mind is something that I, I completely agree with. I think that we we are all built to explore and grow and evolve as creatures, and the more we're learning, um, the, the 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 richer our life is. And what you said around the it's rationalised out of us, um, I think, is a really interesting concept. You know, when we talk about behavioral conditioning um and and the expectations of society um i think that they align in some way i think that sometimes there is this part that we we end up narrowing our field of vision when it comes to that exploration um because of the the environment around us and then it makes me wonder whether there is this secondary process that as we begin to conform with what society expects of us it envelops us in a fear so when we consider exploration growth evolution of self um because of what society has done it restricts our movements or as you say it rationalizes it out of us um 
we're then met with a fear. So we, we're hesitant over embarking on some of these expeditions. And as I say, not necessarily the, 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 the physical Everest, but, but the emotional Everest that sometimes we have to overcome. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Like I can, I'm nodding and feverishly uh, shaking my, nodding my head here because it's, it's so true. Uh, I don't, I don't know at what point that is and, and when do we, well, what is that like absolute moment uh, when suddenly it becomes unacceptable to do something or unacceptable to climb your Everest physically or emotionally or even come out about, you know, this Everest or this, this thing which has been bugging you. I don't know at what point it becomes socially unacceptable to do that. But there is suddenly a mm. point as when you're young, when you're growing up, that suddenly you don't run around the house naked because, you know, it's not the thing we do. Um, you don't, mm. I don't know, I'm just thinking of my four, my four and two-year-old nephew who I've been uh, uh, isolating with during lockdown <laughs> and what they do. And I'm like, exactly. I want to exactly. do a bit of that. <laughs> George, take us back to, as I say, we, we, we kicked off at the top of the show saying at sort of 14 and you mentioned there that it was probably before the age of 14 that you, that you, you, you was this, by definition, almost this, this explorer. Um, what was life like for you growing up? Life for me growing up uh, was, uh, I think, inspired. Um, of course, there was super hard things. There were, um, there were moments at school where, you know, my friends or my, 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 my students weren't that all, all that nice to me. Um, but I, I wouldn't say that it was like bullying. I, I suppose it could be construed as bullying. But, you know, I think that's all that's also part of uh, living in a herd. You know, we are a herd species. And, um, you know, I don't think I was like rigorously bullied as a kid. But, you know, I was I was always keen on the outdoors. I love my swimming. I loved nature. And, you know, I was always a bit taller, a bit ganglier than everyone else. And I, but, but equally, I, I don't think I was necessarily bullied. But and so I will stand by the fact that I think I lived an inspired childhood. I grew up in. Um, my parents moved around quite a lot because, um, because of my dad's work. Um, so we lived out in the States when I was sort of first born. Uh, I don't remember much of that. Uh, <laughs> although I'm constantly reminded about the fact that I went to, had a poo in my neighbor's garden, <laughs> in my neighbor's pool. Um, <laughs> I ran away one day and just had a poo in her pool, which was weird. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, sorry about that. I'm not sure why that came up, but it did. Uh, yeah, so I, and then we moved back to the UK. It's all part of the adventure. Yeah, I think I think it is. But luckily, luckily we got on very well with our neighbour, and she seemed to find the, see the funny side of my poo. Um, but I never did it again uh, too much. But, but uh, then we we moved back to the UK, and really then we've been based in uh, in Norfolk in uh, East Anglia, um, which is amazing. We have lots. Of, we are blessed with a bit of space up here, so we're not sort of crammed in with high-rise buildings in Norfolk. We're very fortunate to be able to live in a, with a bit of space around us and lovely countryside walks and things like that. Um, and uh, I grew up with, with um, how do I describe it, in, in an environment where saying yes was encouraged. Uh, you know, my parents, bar a few things, have really stood behind everything that I've um, uh, suggested I might do. And for me, that's, I think for everyone, actually, that would be, that's an incredibly powerful thing just to have a set of parents who are very supportive of, of what you do. They are almost like that, that positive foundation off which to, to build. And I think that's extremely valuable uh, and never to be underestimated really from the perspective of, of a, a kid growing up. 
having that really positive foundation. Um, so they were very supportive of me. Uh, you know, they were never, my parents never, even when I was climbing the highest trees. <laughs> and, you know, I think if you listed out the risk assessments and listed out um, all the risks that I've taken, I, I think it would probably be uh, be encyclopedic in length. Uh, but my parents were, I guess, relaxed around those risks, um, sort of. I wouldn't say they were cavalier, um, but being able to take those risks and, and not and not being told initially, you know, don't climb that tree; it's dangerous. Uh, they said, okay, well, climb the tree. I'll I'll be here. And if you if you sort of you know, make sure the the, the they, they gave me a good guidebook, if you like as to how to climb the tree instead of saying, don't climb the tree, it's dangerous. So with my guidebook, which my parents gave me, I, I could then climb a tree and manage the risks as I went, you know, a dynamic risk assessment that they all say that comes up quite a lot in my work, uh, <laughs> constantly dy- dynamically yeah. risk assessing everything. Um, <laughs> that's way more fun. That's less bureaucracy. And, you know, with that guidebook, I was then able to, you know, take some risks and of course, of course I failed. I've, um, one day I never forget I was with my brother actually and we were climbing trees in a cow field and I came up with the genius plan the genius plan that I would like to ride a cow not a joke I would like to wow. ride a cow and well hold the phone and I thought well, I'll risk assess this you know it's okay how are we going to get the cows close is, is it going to work I was like of course it's going to work I don't you worry about that so I thought, right, the only way to ride a cow is to swing onto it like I've seen Clint Eastwood do on uh, sort of cowboy films, you know. <laughs> and so I got a bit of rope and I strung it up onto the lowest branch. And then I um, called, you know, the cows were quite interested in what we were doing. So they would come close. And, you know, this rope was to like, was to get over their initial distance, which I had to cover to get close because the cows weren't beneath the tree. They were like five yards away. So had my rope up in the tree and uh cows came within five yards they were sort of sniffing at the lower branches of the tree and i thought right now go <laughs> anyway so i leapt out of the tree holding onto the rope swinging towards the cows anyway uh i didn't quite do my measurements correctly and i picked up a bit of rope that was too long so i effectively just jumped out of the tree and before the rope managed to catch my fall i'd hit the ground and uh i broke my skull I don't remember anything about it. Uh, I apparently uh, stumbled home. My brother ran home, obviously, because I was completely gone. Uh, I can't remember anything. I was apparently stumbling around. Uh, my mother uh, called the ambulance and um, I was taken straight into any. And it turned out that I'd um, done some pretty serious damage uh, to my head. And I had serious damage enough that I had to learn to read and write again at the age of uh, five, four or five, somewhere in there. Um, so, you know, not all of these good stories uh, end, end happily ever after. But um, I think they're all part of growing up. So, yeah, as I said, my parents gave me that really good guidebook to, you know, saying yes to saying yes to things, uh, really embracing, uh, believing in yourself, uh, but also being able to know where your limits are. Uh, that's a that wonderful phrase that T.S. Eliot said, which he said uh, in one of his poems, only those who risk going too far can possibly find out how much they can risk. And I think that's really important because we, we, can, we all like to live within our comfort zones. Um, 
But actually, in that's inside that comfort zone, you're never going to know what you're capable of without risking a little bit more. And of course, for example, let's take that climbing the tree analogy. Uh, I look at that branch. I'm like, oh, is that branch thick enough? Uh, is that branch too rotten? Uh, can I stand on it? Okay, let's hold on with other, my two hands. Try it. It doesn't work right. That now I know that that risk is too much. And then you can apply that to lots of different things. Um, and uh, so th that's really the, the 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 aura and the environment which I uh, grew up in. A really positive one where I was encouraged to do stuff, encouraged to be independent, encouraged to take risks. And it's probably upon those positive, those foundations, which uh, led me into, uh, I might even call it a career, if I may be, may, may be so mm. fortunate, a career that I'm in today. And it is, it is one hell of a career as well, um, that, you know, some of the, some of the adventures that, that, that you have been on. Um, but before we sort of dive too much into those as well i'm coming back to sort of the the, the cow story because i mean uh, yeah i mean we hadn't even spoken about that one that, that's incredible i'm thinking oh my where is this story going because but but actually uh you know a big part of the the the, the growth of self is as 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 you quite rightly say that it is about risk and um and and what a wonderful um quote by t.s Eliot as well um another great soundbite there um because you know for me i i suppose there's one there's another there's another sort of quote that says something we're only as good as our last mistake in the sense that we have to be able to uh we have to be able to foul to then determine a, a new course of action or you, you know a new a new route forward because unless we're able to because there's no such thing as perfection it's 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 an illusion as it were if we're mm. unable to 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 you know uh, make mistakes or, or find fault in what we're doing we then can't correct uh, that you know the, it's it's just an important part of of our development but underneath that and I think for me, what stood out uh, is this environment that your parents created where where yes was encouraged. And I think that is really crucial because if I look at it from, so if I, you know, the individuals that I'm working with or, or from a clinical perspective, um, you touched on there that we're tribal creatures and, and it is, it's so true. And I believe that we will only adjust behaviors or we will only take risk or, and, 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 altering you know from a mental health or emotional well-being perspective we'll only consider to do things differently i.e think differently behave differently if there is a relationship that is there to support us and and you can see that through your childhood and and maybe the underpinnings uh of of what your life is is now is where you know the parents creating that positive foundation as you say and this and fostering and cultivating an environment uh, where yes was encouraged and I think that's a that's a really lovely sort of uh, statement and sentiment that that goes with that um hats off to them maybe we can give them a absolutely big hug absolutely so uh you mentioned your uh brother there um on, on the cow expedition uh, any other siblings <laughs> yeah I've got um uh, my eldest brother and then a sister who's in between us both and then uh I am um the squit the baby actually i'm a mistake right. actually my mother my mother told me that uh about four years ago so um i'm a mistake but apparently the best mistake that's ever happened <laughs> well, i was gonna say not a bad mistake in terms of what you've achieved today 
So is everyone is this is there a thread that runs through the family of explorers? Um, not no, there isn't. I I wouldn't say I come from a long line of um, explorers, a long line of adventures, adventurers. Um, but uh, I think you know all three of us are, are kids. My eldest brother Harry and my middle sister Caroline. Uh, she is mega. She does lots of adventure races herself, uh, more like racy stuff. Um, and she's a vet in the military, um, so looks after all the horses and and, uh, and dogs. And uh, I don't know how public this is, but I didn't. I got you know these quizzes that keep keep on going round. Um, one of the questions was, "Do the British Army have more tanks or horses?" And the answer is, they have more horses than tanks. Wow. <laughs> Which I was like. I was amazed by that. And so my sister looks after all of the horses uh, in the army, effectively. Um, she's amazing. And my brother is also a legend. He has um, two young kids who I'm currently isolating with. And he is um, he's great. And indeed, we've done lots of smaller adventures over weekends with him and his family, uh, which has been brilliant. So they're all uh, amazing, uh, but very diverse. My brother is very much into the corporate life. Uh, he works for British Telecom, BT. Uh, but uh, I think each of us bring a very unique perspective on life. So maybe we should get all three of us onto the podcast. Absolutely. Well, you certainly must be the cool uncle in lockdown as well with, with some of the stories that you can relate to uh, to your brother's children. <laughs> yeah, I mean, either that or when all the kids are like, Uncle George, you're so silly. Uncle George, stop being silly. <laughs> so... Um, I meant like about to dart, about to dart in and be like, "Can we go and play hide and seek?" I'm like, "Yes, okay, gotta go, James. Bye." <laughs> um, so, George, tell us about you know from that you know as you come out of adolescence into uh, into well well late adolescence, there's there's some monumental achievements that you you begin to undertake from um, well before you're even seventeen, you're you're swimming around Lake Zurich, you're circumnavigating Barbados and New York's Manhattan Island. Um, where is all this coming from? Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I I enjoyed swimming as a kid. Um, I always did it. And uh, where does it actually come from? I probably po- then point the finger towards a uh, towards uh, our swimming teacher from school. He uh, was a very inspiring man, and uh, he wasn't. I don't know my like quintessential vision of a, a swimming teacher as a sort of a person who stands on the on the on the on the side. And writes on a whiteboard what you're swimming, uh, what you've got sort of sets you've got to do, like how many lengths of what, and you know, and then sits on the on the on the on the on the bench on the side and sort of screams at everyone or whatever and takes notes. Whereas uh, he uh, was a guy called Nick, and he swam every single yard with us. And um, his background was in outdoor swimming, and so he's actually swum the channel. Like I, I don't want to make it up, but I think he's done like more than ten crossings. Um, on his own and uh and once he tried to swim it three times he was sponsored by mcdonald's to try and swim it three times and mcdonald's would give him uh every any burger he wanted uh to fatten up <laughs> and uh so, so he's that sort of guy some incentive well. there yeah exactly that big mac just floating ahead of you you know <laughs> that'd make anyone swim faster um so i i think you know it was him who initially brought the idea to uh to 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 us as a swimming team and there were basically six friends who became friends really through swimming and we're like yeah all right let's what you know what we, what we said to ourselves is what have we got to lose why not why should we 
uh, not do this? And I think there's there's really two obvious answers. I think there's there's that fear of failure. There's that fear of you know, what might what might everyone think if we fail? That that would be what our, you know the initial like oh my gosh let's not do it. We're exposing ourselves too much. And the other one was like we're risking too much. You know it's too much of a risk. We might die. And actually you kind of look at both of those options and we we won't die because there's a safety boat next door to us. You know, we might, you know, get in some trouble, but you'd hope that they'll be close. They can whip us out of the water. We can all tread water for, you know, for, for hours. Um, so that risk is next to zero. So I didn't see there was a risk of big risk of dying. And then the fear of failure. I think um, we all, and it didn't certainly take that long for us to talk about it and be like, look, what, what is the worst that can happen? You can fail. That is kind of it. That's if you can't die, then the worst that's going to happen is you're going to fail. And actually, you're going to come back from this experience, having learned a whole load, having tried. People will respect you for trying. And we, we know that whole that story about giving it your best and regretting nothing. And uh, and so, you know, he, in, he inspired about uh, maybe 15 of us to to try for to get into the team. And we actually made a um, a, a television program about it for Channel 4. And uh, <laughs> it was amazing. And uh, I actually, this is a true story. I didn't make the team. I was the last one to be thrown out of the team on uh, on TV. It was like Big Brother. It was like the, like the early reality TV show in 2004. And I was the last one to be thrown out. And uh, I've actually got a copy of the, of the videotape on, uh, on the video here on my desk, which is amazing. And uh, I never think I was like some sort of spotty 14-year-old with big front teeth. Uh, eating crisps, having just been told that I wasn't in the team by by Nick, uh, the last one to be told, and um, and I was like, yeah, I mean that's obviously very disappointing. This is what I was saying to camera, very disappointing. But um, you know, I'll try again and next time or something. Anyway, I was so desperate to to go that the morning that the champ the team left uh, school, they left. They had to basically when you're from the channel, you get given a week's window, um, and and you can leave any time in that week. So it might be one in the morning, it might be 9am, it might be five in the afternoon, anytime. And it's all depending on the weather. So the team got the call, we were leaving at 3am, or they were leaving at 3am from, uh, from, uh, from school. And um, I was like, oh my God, like, I'm so upset. You know, I obviously was very upset that I felt I wasn't going, I wasn't chosen. And we dedicated so much time, so much energy to this, you know, 5.45 in the morning before school, we were training um, in the pool, um, then I'd go and have breakfast, do school and play maybe some other sport in the, in the afternoon. And then in the evening, we would train again uh, at six till seven, you know, so there was a lot of miles we were putting in and that, that was, you know, that, that takes a lot out of you as a kid, you know, especially when you, when you, when you need your sleep as a teenager. <laughs> and, uh, um, so I, uh, um, decided I was going to turn up at 3am, just turn up. So I broke out of my, um, broke out of my uh, boarding house and uh, went to the meeting place where they are meeting. And fortunately enough, one of the team had just done his, uh, his A-levels, just succeeded getting, you know, whatever his grades were. And he was a young 17-year-old guy and went out and got drunk the night before. He was due to some of the channel. And uh, so Nick chucked him off the team. And there was a spare place. And of course, yeah, so I turned up at 3 a.m. in the morning, broke out, totally illegal. And um, <laughs> Nick then was like at, the, at this meeting point, he said, look, you know, this guy can't come. 
uh, because he went out last night and got drunk. Uh, do you want to come? And it was actually middle of our exams. And I had a maths exam that day. I'll never forget it. And uh, uh, he was like, well, if you go back and chat to your housemaster now at 3am in the morning, you can. And he said, yes, you can come. So I ran back to the house, broke back in <laughs> and then uh, not like woke my woke the my housemaster up. And uh, he and I was like, um, small problem. Um, I've got a math exam today, but I've just been asked to go and swim the channel. This is a once in a lifetime opportunity, possibly twice. You know, this is a rare opportunity. Can I go? And he scratched his head and, you know, sort of wiped the sleep dust out of his eyes. And he's like, oh, well, uh, I suppose it's a yes. <laughs> So there was I. I ran back to my room, grabbed my towel, my swimming, my swimming pants, swimming trousers, uh, swimming uh, shorts, and a swimming hat, and ran out of the door uh, <laughs> quick as a flash. And that was the last he saw of me that day. <laughs> and uh, that is um, ten hours. That is truly incredible. <laughs> it's a true story. And ten hours and forty nine minutes after leaving uh, Shakespeare Beach, we landed um, at Cap Grinet. And uh, the uh, the team went and had half a pint of beer while I was meant to be doing a math exam. So that was very satisfying. What, um, I mean, even at that young age, you can see that uh, what a roll of the dice. You know, even though you're you, you know you're not on the team, you still got up at three in the morning. You still sort of made your way down there, and and by a sort of stroke of luck, um, this uh, this this guy, this seventeen year old, was celebrating his A levels, and it, it wasn't. It wasn't to be for him that day, but it was for you. Um, now, I must really? ask that, uh, that Nick. Uh, so what's Nick's surname? Not Nick Murch, is it? it is, no, it's called Nick, Nick Adams. Because there's another Nick who is an icon with, with, um, in terms of distance swimming as well, who, who I've spoken oh, really? to in the past. Uh, yeah, a previous show I had a, um, a cross-channel swimmer on. There was another Nick who he kept mentioning as well. But there must be two... Um, iconic nicks in the world of distance swimming out there. So well, it's, quite, it's a small world, James. It's a small world. So if 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 your other guest was mentioning Nick, it probably is the same Nick. I mean, he's a what he's a bastion of the channel swimming in the UK. Genuinely, he's mm. sort of he, he is the Nick. <laughs> so it might be the he same is guy. The Nick. Could be. Could yeah. be. So uh, again, so from that very early age, you you. Um, you get the other side of the channel. You've completed a, a huge adventure, a huge accomplishment, and that that whets your appetite to then go on to Lake Zurich and Barbados and New York, um, because you was you, pardon the pun, but you were as immersed in the world of swimming at this point, yeah, <laughs> yeah, effectively. And you know, uh, just just to give a bit of cl- a, a bit of clarity, when I when I broke out of my boarding house to to go to. Um, to to meet Nick I had no intention of getting on the team and sort of groveling I just wanted to like say goodbye be the last guy to wish them good luck you know that was my intention and of course then as you say if you, unless you roll the dice you, you're, ne- you're never going to get a six and of course that day happened to be my six and um so then w- once we'd sort of done that and I'd come back I can't remember whether I had to sit my math exam or not in the end but hopefully not <laughs> I can't remember um we then as you said like wet dampened our appetite. Uh, we had dipped our toe in this puddle, which we all um, got an immense amount of satisfaction out of, you know, and it's for a pretty simple reason. And just to give a bit of an illustration, I'm sure a lot of people, almost everyone who's watched our show has in their past, in the past, asked a young person, what did you do with your weekend? What did you do yesterday? And um, in my experience, a lot of kids are like, oh, 
nothing really. Um, you know, I was, I was at home. Um, and then I might ask a bit further. I was, oh, what do you do at home? Um, played a computer game. Uh, watch TV. Um, that's about it really. Went for a bike ride with some mates. Um, anyway, for us as a team, some you know, someone says, "What did you do with your holiday from school?" And we were like, "You know what? We swam the channel." <laughs> And even if, we might come on to it later, but even if it didn't go so well, as swimming around Barbados and New York didn't go so well, um, even if it didn't go so well, you you know, every single person on that team, every kid, as every 14-year-old kid, their chin went up, their shoulders went back, and when an adult or someone asked them, what do they do with their summer holidays? They're like, you know, we tried, to, we swam across the channel. We tried to swim around New York. We tried to swim around Barbados. Or, you know, we swam along Lake Zurich. You know, and they're like, wow and that's i think it's 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 for me it's it's not the uh it's not the addiction to getting a response out of people it's actually now for me like an opportunity to to inspire people to get that little little um i think it is a kick it's a bit of endorphin when someone goes well done when someone says to you well done that sounds amazing tell me more about it it's that is incredibly satisfying and i remember it for the first and second and third time and now you've done all these adventures someone just says i'd love to know more about it please tell me more you're like oh my gosh i suddenly have a sense of a worth a sense of purpose and it's it that is i probably then what as a team we were sort of sitting in the changing room uh you know next and the following term uh, back at school you know just doing a bit of swimming because we kind of like hanging out together not as much like once a week twice a week we go for a little swim together and uh we're like well you know, what are we going to do next year? <laughs> what are we going to do next summer holidays? You know, we've got so much time as kids. And you can, I guess I realized that I had a choice. I could either sit at home and watch TV and become an expert at Call of Duty or what other game. And that's a good, good option. That's a cool thing to do. Go for it. I decided that I really wanted to use my time to do these little adventures, little challenges that uh, gave me a lot of satisfaction, a lot of um uh, a lot of uh, pleasure um, and so yeah sitting in that changing room we all decided to find the next little thing we wanted to do or the next one or the next one and it's kind of gone on and on from there uh, and that's what led us through through to doing those each summer holidays we would uh, go off and do a little challenge little adventure we trained for um, yeah <laughs> and uh, uh, that's kind of what led us through it. Uh, an amazing team spirit, and all, we're all still friends today, and still do lots of stuff together. So it's really well, nice. I was going to ask actually whether you're still in touch with them, and that, that, that's uh, it's lovely to hear that that you are still in touch, and um, and you've got that close bond and those the relationships because of those those times and those achievements that you've shared together. Um, what was I mean? What I wanted to pick up on is that part around. Uh, the validation or, or, you know, when you're telling people what you've achieved and they kind of say, wow, that's amazing. Well done you. And, uh, and, and that kick you get from it and that, how it stimulates that sense of self-worth. And I, I suppose that the, the part that I wanted to ask is, does it always, does the desire to undertake these challenges always have to come from self first? And would it be fair and right in saying that we shouldn't be doing these things or you wouldn't and haven't done these things for other people? Primarily it's for you. Um, and then the added value comes in when there is a sense of validation from others as well. 
up. I'm sorry, yeah, I'm really sorry if I gave that impression that I did. I do it for other people's for, to get other people's praise. It's it's five million percent. It's it's got to come from you first. Um, but you know, sort of the, the reason why that suddenly became came to the front of the conversation was that sitting in that change room, having done our first big challenge, you know. Um, it, that was another reason why we wanted to carry on doing it uh, because not only did we love the experience, we learned a lot about ourselves, but also we suddenly found a sense of worth that then we, we would carry on doing it. Um, so it's about, you're absolutely right, James. It's got to come from you. It's, I think if you're forever in search of praise from other people, it'll be a, it'll be a long, 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 long long slog <laughs> and actually it won't really end up in much of a in a in a in a, in a, a final destination if you like because it's just impossible to, to know uh or impossible to really um uh be happy with yourself because it's got to come from you a hundred percent totally true right. and and i didn't uh, it was it was only f- not uh it wasn't suggesting that you had yeah had uh, lent it that way um i think it was that point of 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 saying uh for people that actually uh you know it's it's crucial for for any you know i often talk about i use the phrase healthy selfishness that um selfishness has a bad reputation our culture uh, listeners to the show have heard me talk about this before so apologies in advance uh, for those that have heard it but um healthy selfishness is is about prioritizing self it's the mother Teresa approach in terms of she would feed herself first before she fed the poor um but because selfishness has a bad reputation in our culture we often neglect um the 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 phrase selfishness and see it as as always being negative but actually there are two sides to every coin uh healthy selfishness and unhealthy selfishness and unhealthy selfishness is sort of actions at the expense of others whereas healthy selfishness is is prioritizing self and you know whenever we are embarking on our own everest whenever we're looking to undertake challenges we're making sure that you know it is for us primarily primarily uh and and then uh, from a sense of self-worth perspective and, and and to pick up on your point is true if we break down worth if we break down that sense of value the fact that we are uh, tribal and social creatures that worth is va- uh, is made up of four key constituents and and that's whether we feel understood taken seriously uh, respected and listened to and and we can only stimulate those constituents through others um, and so absolutely what we get is that double hit not only have we undertook and, uh, and and achieved a, a monumental um, task or adventure that we've uh, that you've embarked on in the past, but then the validation coming from others thereafter applies that secondary layer, which I think is 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 the part that maximizes the return, if you will. Um, mm. But but it's great. Now the 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 contrast to some of your uh, early adventures to to some of the the, the more recent adventures you know we've got um through those those adolescent years the the uh, school years team 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 in respect of the swims etc but then we've also got this period of time uh well actually if 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 we collate the the hours um over 26,000 hours in isolation as well so so not only you you undertaking challenges and adventures as a team You've also got these long, long, huge periods of time where you've where you've operated in isolation. 
Mm. I, it's probably worth clarifying there that I am all about team and that that team, that element of shared memories has never changed. So even though we've been in isolation, um, especially on the bigger trips, uh, I've always gone with one or two people. Um, and this next trip is actually with two others. So there'll be three of us in total. And I think that is just so important. Um, and the reason I think it's important is, is a fewfold. I think that sharing those experiences, sharing an experience with someone just makes it much more powerful uh, and much more long lasting. It'll go on forever because you can never forever pick up the phone and be like, hey, mate, you remember that time? Um, God, wasn't it great? Uh, but aren't we lucky to have the X, Y and Z? And that, that is that is it's amazing to have to be able to do that and it hasn't got to be anything it can be any everest you're looking to climb anything anything you're looking to do you can if you share it with someone they can relate to it that's kind of the first thing well um, i was going to say well, uh and i think that 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 carries over in all areas and again you know and as as we said at the top of the show and 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 you and you've mentioned here that you know it's not about the uh the, the the physical Everest that we climb it's 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 how we define the Everest and whether that's from a, an emotional or mental health perspective as I say or or from the physical world um the the sharing is so crucial you know we know that 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 talking therapies uh are the the richness that comes from those enables change as we said before what underpins that change is the safety and security of the relationship if we go back to your earlier life it's that positive foundation that your parents provided and almost if we if we look at those core trace base elements of of what relationship are it has to be that positive foundation doesn't it and that sharing process um so for people that that are in crisis or in distress being able to talk and share it with others surely has to be that starting point absolutely and i i mean we're when on the next episode and we take a deep dive into into a particular expedition uh, or expeditions <clears throat> maybe um communication is is it is the foundation really of how to uh how to overcome what is i mean for me what what was the most life changing situation if i if i can leave it on that cliffhanger to persuade every single person who's listened to this to come back next time to listen to part two we will be diving taking a deep dive into um a particular expedition which um you know it's taken me a long time to get over taken every single person who's been on that trip a long time to grapple with um so, so, so and it's a it's a it's a i don't really know how to describe it in words words hardly do it justice but you know, it's uh, thinking back to it. I, I even get a tear in my eye now. Uh, you know, it's uh, it was a terrifying, terrifying experience, and uh, so, uh, but 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 being able to share that that experience and to uh, be able to communicate that experience with someone who shared it has made that recovery process. I say, I don't know, easier. I don't know what it would have been like without them, but I think it's made it better for me and now able to speak more openly about that ex experience and hopefully uh, the learnings from that experience may help others. Yes, and and, and sort of just to, to add to that, really, um, you know, we've we've loosely spoke about uh, the, the second show and, and what we will be discussing and I and I, I 
agree. I urge all the listeners to 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 tune into that that second show as well because it will be um, it will be a, a, a deep dive and a, a very important listen um, and a difficult listen in parts, I'm sure, but but a very important listen. Um, George, uh, you know what? Look, you know, we must play one of your songs because um, uh, as <laughs> again as we spoke, I could listen to your stories all day, uh, and and I think you spread such a positive message, and uh, and how you deliver it is is as I say, it's very inviting and captivating as well. But I would be doing uh, the listeners and you as a guest a disservice if I didn't uh, play one of your songs. So. Let's uh, let's kick off with your first choice. Uh, we'll be back after this. Uh, I've been James Roast. Uh, this is the Happiness Algorithm. My guest today is George Bullard, and this is uh, this is his first song choice.
Phoenix FM. Welcome back to the Happiness Algorithm with me, James Roast. Uh, that was the Imagine Dragons on top of the world. And it was my guest, George Bullard's uh, first song choice. Um, George, what a great song that was. Oh, man, I was literally dancing on the ceiling. You should have seen me, honestly. I had too many coffees this morning, but God, that was a good song. <laughs> uh so very apt as well very very apt 100 I, I don't know why but music for me is very especially those sort of songs is so um so empowering and i'm genuinely very emotional this morning i've got a little bit of a bit of, a, bit of water in the old eye just out of happiness <laughs> happiness water i call it jesus christ Ooh, <laughs> happy day baby well we like we like uh happiness water we do when the eyes are leaking <laughs> for happiness <laughs> Uh, George, uh, I suppose I should ask, um, music is such an important part of the show. Um, I, I always, as you know, I always ask my guests to uh, to, to, to pick uh, two to three songs per show um, because I feel that it adds to the narrative. Uh, one of the questions, what was really interesting, you, you know, you, you are out on these expeditions for, for, you know, long, long periods of time. Is, is music an important part of that journey? Do you take music with you? Um, is it accessible? Yeah, um, a great question. We we do take music with us. So just to, just to kind of put put some maybe time frames onto onto that. Uh, the so far the the longest time we I spent on an expedition is 113 days. Uh, we were walking the longest unsupported polar journey. I was 19. Um, it was I, I failed to get into university to read medicine. Um, I just didn't get didn't didn't make the cut. <laughs> um, and so I then was forced to like rethink. And if I wanted to go to university, I had to take a, a year out and um, went up to the Arctic and did this thing. And that might come up in, in like, it was, a, it was a pure opportunity, another roll of the dice from me. Um, and this guy came up to me and said, you know, do you, I've seen what you've done in the past. Do you want to come and do it with me? And I was like, yeah, let's do it. That was the first time I met him. The second time I met him, we were packing our sledges. The third time I met him face to face, we were walking uh, for 113 days. Uh, over one and a half, just under one and a half thousand miles, one thousand three hundred seventy-four miles, uh, fully unsupported. We never saw another human being. The color green. The only reason we knew the outside world still existed was because we could see, uh, you know, the odd plane flying over us. Uh, that was the only reason we knew that that the world around us or outside of our very small world still existed. Um, but to, you know, taking music on on that trip, uh, we did take music, um, but. Not, not really for, for me certainly not really as a cure for anything more just as like pass a bit of time uh because we were walking for or outside walking for 12 hours a day looking at white sometimes a bit of blue you know sometimes it was white out totally so you couldn't see your own hand in front of your face you were just following a compass bearing and like it was beyond boring uh and I still think mentally that is the most challenging challenging thing that I've ever done and what music did for me then was just pass a bit of time uh but but uh you know nothing would annoy me more than uh than having like you know my my music is i mean imagine dragons is about the peak uh you know britney spears whining in my ear um for 12 hours of the day so you know i definitely found peace in uh, in myself i found peace in the silence that was just me walking uh, and being inside my own own head thinking about very little <laughs> as i said you know both brain cells vibrating together it doesn't take much to 
much to uh, much to keep them entertained. <laughs> I mean, it's another. Um, you know, you say roll of the dice. It's another mad, crazy opportunity that, that that lands on your lap. Um, you know, unsuccessfully not getting into to, to med school at the age of nineteen. Uh, most people would be you know, uh, packing up a backpack and uh, touring in Southeast Asia or going to Australia to work in a bar for six months. Uh, but, but you end up packing up your rucksack, uh, loading a sledge, and then and then off you go for, for 113 days, did you say it was? <laughs> yeah, it was 113 days. But, I, you know, I, uh, I, uh, I, mean, I don't know how it all came about, but uh, it all possibly started when I was, I basically, um, it was 2007, 2008, so there was no like PPE situations. They weren't so significant and uh, social distancing wasn't a thing back then. And uh, I was able to walk walk up to the manager of my local supermarket, um, which is happens to be have a start in a T and end in ESCO extra. Uh, and other supermarkets are available, of course. And um, I said to him, look, I, you know, I want to go on this this, this adventure and uh i don't want any money out of you but what i'd love to do is to be able to pack people's bags for them yeah so i stood at the end of the uh at the end of the till and uh, packed people's bags uh, as they finished their shopping and uh in doing so i could have a conversation with each person about um what i want to do what what this adventure is i want to do and uh i would maybe ask them for a few pounds a few pennies uh, to put in the box to to help this endeavor and uh, uh it was really because of that fundraising i think i managed to raise you know uh probably about thousand pounds maybe two thousand i can't remember how much i raised i should probably have that fact to hand i should find it out how much i raised but i raised enough money to pay to go on an expedition and when i came back from that expedition i was then giving a talk in the rgs where i met uh, my teammate for the longest unsupported polar journey and that's when he came up to me and said, do you want to do it? And I was like, I literally, I probably, when he asked, I probably scratched my head, looked at the ceiling and said, yeah, all right, then let's try. <laughs> I mean, what's the worst that can happen again on that? What's the worst that can happen? I mean, I guess the, the risk is that you could die this time. The, the risk were a little bit higher. Um, wow. Wow. And, wow. Wow. But I thought, I mean, why not? <laughs> I mean, maybe you, um, obviously we know that you, you have the dark ice project, uh, on the horizon. Um, but where do you, where do these mad ideas come from? Where do you, where does the planning or where does the, the where does it ignite and become a, a feasible option to begin to, to, to undertake it, to consider, um, embarking on on some of these quests that that some would just believe impossible yeah. i mean i hang out with some very dodgy people <laughs> <laughs> um who who egg me on who encourage yeah. me <laughs> Maybe, i can't work out whether they want to get rid of me uh so they're like yeah go on mate go on try <laughs> see you <Yeah>. later <laughs> god, thank god we got rid of him for, for at least four months um uh, or or um, I kind of choose to put myself in these sort of situations where, you know, I end up just chucking some ideas around with friends and they're like, should we try? And I'm like, yeah, all right, let's 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 give it a shot. I'll, uh, I'll give a few people a call. Got to raise some money first. So let's, you know, work out how we're going to do that. I'll make a few phone calls. Do we get any traction? Okay, bit of traction. Okay, here we go. Let's, um, let's, let's, let's sort of go for it. Let's commit. Are you, are you able to commit to next year? And then it's, 
and then everyone's like, yeah, I'm committed. And then it's full hands on deck, you know. And uh, I think maybe that's that it's that commitment as well, which is a another angle, which um, and, and commitment and dedication to it, because certainly with the Dark Ice project, you know, when I bring out my book about the Dark Ice project, it's going to be a honest the 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 heartache we've been through to organise my next expedition is is it is next level. Um, it's been uh, a roller coaster uh, is an option, but I think it's I also feel like I've um, been on a freaking space journey <laughs> already just to get to the start line. Um, and we haven't even done anything yet, but, um, you know, I think that it's like another sort of show of commitment and dedication that, that, uh, from the people that I'm working with that, that gets us to the start line, that gets us these ideas, um, these dreams, these loves, then, the and that willingness from all of us to, to, give our absolute best and i think that's that's another key for like satisfaction and happiness i find is certainly with kids right when you're a young person you're taking exams and it's scary it's it's petrifying and i don't have any kids yet um but i I can't wait to to tell my kid look don't worry about your exams i'm not forcing you to get an a or forcing you to pass i'm not forcing anybody all i want from you is to try your absolute best, okay? And you're the only per- you're the only person who can say whether you're trying your best. You're the only person. I'm not going to know whether you're trying your best. Um, you are the only person. So it's not me you're trying to please. It's kind of yourself. It is yourself. And so just try your absolute best. If you fail, it doesn't matter. You have tried. But if you don't try and you fail, you'll end up regretting that you didn't try in the first place. That's kind of like my my my, my part of my message in in organizing these expeditions and coming up with these mad harebrained ideas but you've just got to try give it a hundred percent and you know when someone says no but you still think there's a glimmer of hope go for it mm. try it yeah well if we don't as you say if we don't try we never know and 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 the sort of the emotion if we encapsulate it in and around regret can be much harder to to hold or find space for than 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 processing the 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 clean emotion around failure and like we said before failure is is it through any adversity through any sort of um unsuccessful attempts there's always an opportunity to learn and learning enables us to grow and and, and evolve as well um and i think it's a i mean it's wonderful um approach and and i don't want to sort of I don't want to sort of do it disservice by saying it's a very positive outlook to have because I think that that does dilute it somewhat. But but trying our best and just attempting is 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 great. Um, is a great message to share. Yeah, but you also got to be you also got to be quite careful there, James, because um, again, it's only yourself that you're trying to please. But if the if the the herd says to somebody, says to me, for example. Uh, look, try, try your best. But if you fail, don't worry, you've learned a lot. But the only person who's going to know whether you've tried your hardest is you. And if you then retire, if you kind of retire, but retire admirably upon the basis that everyone's going to be like, well done, you tried. Actually, that, 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 is, not, that is not like, that doesn't give you, because you're the only person you're trying to do this for, it doesn't give you that sense of fulfillment. Because you know you've quit early because you know that everyone else is going to think good of you because you've tried. So even when you're trying, you've still got to just, you know, keep trying your hardest so that 
if you do fail and someone says, don't worry, you tried your hardest, you know what? I can be total honesty. I can be like, yeah, I tried my hardest. I was just too rubbish to, to succeed. But, you know, uh, and, and then you can make light of that, that failure. But if someone taps you on the back and said, you try your hardest, and deep down, you know you didn't try your hardest. Deep down, you knew you quit a bit early because, you know, you knew you'd fall into that safety net of everyone thinking you tried your hardest. I think still that feeling is pretty hollow um, in yourself. And that is the only person you're trying to do it. You're doing it for, let's be honest, is yourself, your own skin, your own head. Yes. So where... Yeah. <laughs> I, feel like well, like, I am i'm sort of, i'm i'm sort of listening and taking it in and and i suppose the question that forms is is this something that we can cultivate within ourselves is it is it a skill set that we can organically learn or is it innate is it part of our genetic makeup do you think that actually we all have the ability to 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 you know to 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 push ourselves that will to drive forward or do you think some people have it some people don't it's it's nature versus nurture um it's a difficult one and and i you know what i i I, truth is odd i don't know i probably would maybe even flip that question back to you uh having uh maybe more experience in in this in this respect but uh, if i had to like stab it in the dark so to speak uh i would probably say um i would probably um so i think it's a bit of both you know i think i think some people you know are, are able to push themselves a bit harder um some people are able to keep going for a bit longer uh and that's just a simple like kind of physiological thing um but some people are more determined some people will give up sooner and give that Oh my! I'm, 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 uh, it's so difficult. I don't. I don't know. I don't know. But then some people are innately more relaxed. Some people are not more relaxed. But some people are innately um, content with not trying mm. their hardest. Uh, which, if they're content, then that's fine. Uh, that's that's amazing. And um, I think I think it's it's a totally individual thing. That's probably where my penny is going to fall. Is it's a totally individual thing, and you need to do what what makes you happy and i think again it's like a bit like testing that branch you know we spoke about at the beginning you know is that branch okay no i you know i fell off let's not touch that branch again if you fail at something and you think you gave your hardest but you get that feeling that sense that you didn't give your hardest well then you know that next time you can give a bit more okay and then eventually you'll get to a moment where like you know you really have tried your hardest you've tried every single route and uh you've you, you you you've reached your 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 own personal pinnacle you've reached your personal risk uh profile sort of thing and actually for you you've done it you've reached that that that's that zen state where you have achieved that satisfaction right but for someone else that might be that might be somewhere different um so i think what can be taught is the skill set that goes behind it um but you know where you end up on that scale that sliding scale of determination let's call it or commitment let's call it is very different but as long as wherever you dedicate yourself to or wherever you commit yourself up until whatever point that is on that scale as long as you can be content with that in yourself that you've tried your hardest 
then you're good, right? Because then you're content in yourself. I is that a good answer? Maybe. I think, think that Nick? that's a. I think it is a good answer. I was going to say I think that's a fair answer, but I'm going to go further than that, and I'm going to say it's a very good answer. I did sort of put you on the spot with that question, and that was perhaps a little unfair of me, uh, because <laughs> I, I tend to agree. I think that. I think it's a combination of both. I think there's elements of nature and nurture. I think in part that that, that there will be some that are genetically predispositioned to be able to stretch further in certain areas. However, you know, the the the, the complex nature of our the environments that, that, that we are brought up in, I think, adds to that as well. Um, but but equally, we do have an opportunity to learn these skills in 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 varying depths and forms and so when we think about you touched on earlier sort of commitment and dedication and and satisfaction and pleasure the part that the I suppose the common theme or thread that runs through all of those is is self we've got to understand self and and you touched on 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 that in the set in the sense that we we've got to understand the internal narrative we've got to be able to know where the metric or the measure is in terms of our limitations and then be able to to pay more or particular attention to that to work on that area so i think that the opportunity of growth comes from internal observation and i think that we can only begin to uh, amplify or or bring into greater focus um the the internal landscape by putting ourselves in these challenging situations um and and if we look again you know if we if we say from a mental health perspective because we said this is why i think it's it's wonderful to have you on the show because we've got yourself that that have uh, that have scowled and overcome and and taken on these challenges and accomplished these challenges physically as well as emotionally uh, but we can draw accurate comparisons to people that are struggling emotionally and psychologically as well and i think what I often see is that when we are in a period of adversity, there is uh, the the many individuals that are struggling tend to adopt a behavior around avoidance. And that's understandable because, you know, the brain will always want to seek out comfort. It will want to move away from discomfort. Um, and so therefore what is leading them into crisis or what is challenging for them um, is, is there is an internal friction, there's a movement that pushes them away from the discomfort, but what we're saying, um, and, and correct me if I'm wrong and, and if you disagree, but I suppose for me what's important is that we do have to confront it, we do have to turn and face it, we do have to recognise, uh, you know, we can't blindly sort of lean on that branch, as it were, see that it's it's precarious or, or, or fractured in places and then think, well, I'll just do it anyway. We have to sort of be able to encompass all of the data and all of the information and all of the narrative that's feeding into our system. Yeah, and I I agree with you there, James. I do agree. It's a, but it's a, it's a it's a very delicate delicate balance. And I and uh, I think the, the the baseline is that everyone's different. Uh, there is a little bit of nature, a little bit of nurture in there. But as in terms of when taking on challenges, they're all different challenges, all different scales, but go for it give it your best uh regret nothing and uh and then beyond all of that you can be content in your best efforts and uh, i think that's a really nice sort of 
place to get to where you can be satisfied in yourself and think about nobody else you know don't get anyone else involved this is very much just you forget about the well herd. for sure and and i think you know it, it and that's where the the as you say the t.s Eliot quote is is so true and so apt that only those who will risk going too far can possibly find out how far one can go and unless we unless we adopt that unless we adopt that sense of self we're never going to truly know how far one can push themselves. Mm, totally. And, and I'm just bringing up another, another little topic here for you. I think one of the beautiful things about adventure uh, and why I'm so passionate about the outdoors is that it, uh, in a manner of speaking, it strips you bare. You know, you are out in the wilderness, you're butt naked. There is nothing there to there's no pretense there's no sort of it doesn't matter about the size of your watch the size of your wallet what car you drive where you live what you know it doesn't matter none of that matters you know when you get outside uh on a little adventure with some friends with some people uh who maybe never met each other before and i've done lots of this you know kids for example they never met each other they don't they're, they're absolute pariahs they've got no idea what makes each other smile what where they get their kicks from they've no idea but because they're all, um, you know, on the same playing field, they're totally level. They sleep in, you know, tents. They go to the loo in the same bucket. You know, everything is just equally beautiful and equally basic and equally simple. They, um, you know, they're, they're able just to be themselves and not hide behind pretenses uh, of, of uh, you know, big watch and a, a status symbols of, of wealth and of, and of, um, of macho-ness, if you like. Um, that's the one of the beautiful things I found about the outdoors. Just as a complete interlude there, I just suddenly popped into my one of my brain cells and I just thought I had to share no, it. No, well, I'm pleased you did. And and you know what? It, it's it's funny because um, obviously psychology and and, and uh, the, the, the way we are as, as, as creatures has, has always fascinated me from well from, from from when i was young really and um and on that subject or on that sort of topic that you spoke about there i always remember uh, being in secondary school and and you know for me secondary school uh well for any child i think uh, traversing that that secondary school period uh is is a difficult one it's a minefield it's really challenging and it's it's the dawn of where we begin to see from a developmental perspective we start to see society begin to squeeze and mold children and we know this and I, I think when I went through secondary school it's much easier than than what children are going through now you know with the dawn of and the age of social media that we live in the expectation and developmentally it is this period of transition where they are becoming more of an independent self so it's about who we are where we're going what we stand for and that's how society then begins to manipulate our natural development with regards to the watches or the clothes or the scents or the boyfriends and the girlfriends and so on and so forth and what stands out for me is I remember going to a um outdoor pursuits week in secondary school and I think many many schools do these and uh rock climbing potholing abseiling kayaking canoeing and so on and so forth uh and I and it's I must have been I don't know maybe 12 at the time 12 13 and I remember distinctly and it, I, I still tell the story to, to many people now that you're absolutely right because already the dynamics the social dynamics of groups were beginning to form in secondary school as they do um and it always felt 
unnatural or awkward for me to see this division between people. I, I ne- was never comfortable with it. But taking this this bunch of children that are still children um, out of the, the school environment, plopping them into a dormitory where they, as you quite rightly say, had to work together, uh, put pee, sleep together, etc., work together in, in all of these outdoor pursuits, it, it neutralized yeah. all of that social grouping. And, uh, and for me, and it's, as I say, I can still remember it, what, 20 odd years later, um, the, the balance that it created in this group of kids that five or six days previous was completely out of balance. And it's a wonderful, wonderful thing to see. And, I, and you know, you're right. I, I think that, um, I wish the world was able to to adopt more or similar principles to that, but we do live in this this world that we're currently in, and you know it is it is a bit bent out of shape sometimes. But hey, you know this is what we have to do. But I suppose it's then finding our people, yeah. it's finding like minded people that are going to add value to our life that share similar values, or you know that we we feel can add value to our existence, and and that uh, collaboration or camaraderie or that relationship is uh is where the special moments come from yeah absolutely and it can for me that's certainly what is found in this sort of outdoor people you know um and people who are passionate about the outdoors you know that's certainly i feel like i've found my my place and having that that long-term vision you know just to just to rewild a single human you know keeps me getting up in the morning uh and it's not sort of the short-term um focuses it's actually the, the long-term lifelong missions that you would never even begin to be able to to manage i'm never going to be able to rewild humans but if if i can just keep doing that that's that's kind of what keep it keeps inspiring me to to do this and, and hopefully um eventually one, <laughs> one person will choose to spend a little more time outside sitting beneath a tree not on their phone not on social media um <laughs> uh and just being being happy with uh with doing nothing i think that's a very nice a nice thought so if i can do that then that's that's what keeps me going keeps me inspired keeps me in passion well i'm sure life. you have and uh, um and i'm sure you continue will continue to do so um and i agree i think the more people can uh, re-engage with nature the more they can sort of put that phone down and just just embrace the present moment uh, the the richer they become um so george we must go to your second choice uh your second song choice of of uh your first show as it were um and it's another belter of a song uh so uh, stick with us here on the happiness algorithm um i'm james roast my guest today is george bullard and this is his second song choice
Phoenix FM. Welcome back to the Happiness Algorithm with me, James Roast. Uh, that was the American Authors, The Best Day of My Life. That was my guest, George Bullard's uh, second song choice of his first show. Uh, George, another great song there. Oh my God, if I wasn't dancing on the ceiling before, I'm now dancing <laughs> on the rooftops. Uh, that was epic. It really was. It really was. Um, now we're into the final part of show one, sadly. Uh, but don't cry. Uh, because George is coming back for a second show. Because as you can hear and as you're listening, there is so much to talk about. Um, we could probably f- fill about 10 shows, George, to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> You'll be very bored by the end <laughs> of I don't it. know, me and you will be having a great time. So look, we... T- I probably wouldn't be able to get my mum to listen. <laughs> um, well, listen, we we before that break, we spoke about um, nature, rewilding humans, uh, putting our phones down, and being present. Uh, tell me a little bit more about why being present is uh, is is important to you. Well, it's it's. Uh, I think it, uh, from doing expeditions and doing adventures, right. Uh, being present is absolutely key. You know, the length of some things, the, the, the exposure, the vulnerability of, uh, of putting yourself out there, both physically, emotionally, mentally, um, it's, it's, it's incredibly difficult to manage. So picture this, picture this story with me, if you may, briefly. Um, uh, you mentioned in the intro about the Inuit man who landed on the northeast coast of Scotland in the 1700s. And this is a true story. And my friend and I, my, my friend Ollie and I set out to unearth this ancient myth um, because at the time they believed he came from Norway. But Ollie and I went to go and see his kayak in Aberdeen University. You can go and see it yourself today. Uh, and we've read books by uh, Norman Rogers called Searching for Finland. And the, basically they believed he came from Norway, but because his kayak and his paddle and the hunting gear that he was carrying when he landed in, on the north coast of Scotland in 1728 was uh, not from Norway it was actually from Greenland so we set out to prove that he could have paddled the entire way from Greenland to Scotland across the ferocious North Atlantic Ocean and uh, just to give you a, a bit of a feel for uh, the, the the waves the ocean and the, the size of the place um, uh, you know, obviously flying from the UK to uh, you fly over Greenland about three hours into the flight. So it's it's three hours worth of flight time. Uh, maybe that's something you can relate to. It's uh, it was 2200 nautical miles um, ish. Uh, and so it was and the, the waves themselves, sometimes the ocean can be flat calm, but sometimes it's huge waves the size of houses and and the built and the kayak itself was 26 foot long there was it's a pretty traditional kayak in fact if you just jump onto my instagram uh or jump online and search george bullard kayaking or like george bullard kayaking to work james we haven't spoken about kayaking to work that's another hilarious story we must speak about that next quickly we must but on this expedition from kayaking across the north North atlantic ocean um you can worry yourself sick about the weather and about the exposure and the vulnerability what might lay ahead but you know that the contents of that cloud might kill you genuinely 
you can worry yourself sick about the what the future holds. But what really helped me on that expedition, on all the expeditions, in fact, was to bring all of that concern right back, right back close to me, metaphorically speaking, right back next to me. And you can say, right, okay, right now, George, you are fine. You are warm, you've got food, and you've got water. So suddenly, all of the panic and the worry about all the things which may happen are actually just completely brought back right close to me. I'm kind of like, breathe. I've got food, water, and warmth. Ollie's got the same. We currently are okay, and we're in the best place possible to manage anything which may happen. So let's forget about what may happen and really be present. Um, and then we're totally able to manage whatever might come at us, whatever those, the contents of those clouds might contain. And I, I realize that it's a slightly, it's, it's a bit different because we're talking mental health and, and happiness and stuff. But the principle is still the same in that actually if you pull everything back towards, you know, like, right, right now I've got, I'm, you know, I'm super fortunate myself. I can speak for myself right now. I'm in a, uh, in, in a house, I'm warm, I've got food and I've got water coming out of the taps. Actually, I don't need very much else. I am happy and everything else can, you know, just let it all happen. So the whole idea of controlling the controllables, uh, being present and in the moment is just as important, I think, in daily life as it is on expeditions. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. You know, there's a wonderful Buddhist saying that says uh, if we're anxious, we're living in the future. If we're depressed, we're living in the past. We've got sort of no control over either. Um, and it's about being in the present. That's that's where our control lies. So if 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 we've got if we've got that uh, that that sense of presence of mind in that moment, then we're giving ourselves the best chance to to adjust. But but yeah, worrying about what may be is going to consume uh, and neurologically fatigue fatigue us much quicker than we than we need to uh, than we need to really, and particularly on expeditions or or in real life as well. Yeah, totally. Um, so listen, we mustn't get away from kayaking to work then. What is kayaking to work? Oh my God. Jeez, man. Um, uh, so a little story for you. So I was working in the city. Um, I, I got a job in the city of London and about to take on this kayaking journey. And uh, of course, my job started at very early in the morning, like seven o'clock in the morning and finished late at night. So I had zero time to train. My boss knew nothing about my plans. He knew about my past, obviously, but he didn't have any idea what we were planning to paddle across the North Atlantic Ocean. And the uh, the only way that I could train was actually on my commute. So I went on to online and um, I, in exchange for £70, I got a free blow up, a free, uh, blow up kayak. And um, I used to paddle it along the Thames from my house where I lived, my flat rather, in Battersea, into the city every morning, or most mornings when the tide would allow. And I would, I would um, uh, walk through the city at about 6.30, 6.45, when it's quite busy, with this blow-up inflatable kayak uh, on, my, on my head, getting all sorts of weird, <laughs> of weird looks. <laughs> and one morning, my, I, I'd like, you know, I enjoy, I enjoy a bit of social media. It's fun. I kind of do it. I, it's funny, right? I kind of use it for that purpose. And I um, used to put my kayak in weird places, do weird things with it, and, and post it onto my uh, social media platform um, at George Blood Explorer if you wanted to follow along. Um, and anyway, one morning I balanced my blow up kayak on top of a phone box. I got some builders to give make me some scaffold to get to get up there. <laughs> and 
they then quickly took the scaffolding away. And just as they took the scaffolding away, <laughs> my boss <laughs> walks into the walks past the bottom of the phone no box. No way. Like, George, what on earth are you doing up there? Anyway, so he took a picture and I was like, oh, can you send that to me? Would that be, <laughs> would that be okay? <laughs> anyway, that was the beginning of the end of my time in uh, working in London. <laughs> but at least you was getting your training uh, in for the expedition. Yeah. Exactly. And it was fun, you know, it was an, uh, sort of just putting a different spin on uh, on commuting. And James, before before we end, if I if I may, I'd love to speak about what I'm doing now. Um, it's uh, is, is that possible? Absolutely. Yes, because uh, what I wanted to do, I, I, I'd like you to um, the close of this show one. I want to talk about what you're doing now and also um, to share your social media handles and websites, etc. For the listeners to be able to to begin to connect with you, follow you and, and, and to read more about you uh, in anticipation for show two as well. So share away and let us know what you're doing and some of those uh, social media handles. Oh, nice one. Thanks, James. So, I mean, what I'm doing now is is really exciting. And as you said, right at the beginning, just to sort of bring it all back to back to where we started, uh, my mission is to rewild humans, and I do that through through basically three key pillars for me. Um, the first one is inspire. So, I do. Uh, I love doing big expeditions, which we spent the last few minutes speaking about why I do them and all that sort of good stuff. And uh, so, that is my 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 aim. There is to inspire people to climb their own Everest. The second pillar for me is engage, um, and I, I effectively give talks so to schools, businesses, youth groups, anyone who wants to, you know, hear about the expeditions. We can we can make a talk into um, more focused around um, well-being in the workplace or mental health or even just straight up inspiration uh, and all that. Um, so giving talks is something which I love doing. I, I run a company. I started a company a couple of years ago called I Go Adventures, and we are all about uh, curating. Uh, real adventure with purpose and um if you uh, jump onto onto the internet and type in george Ballard or i go or whatever uh it'll come up but this actually for those people who are listening and they think and they're thinking hang on a minute um <laughs> one they probably uh well they might might have already switched off but if they want to they've got this far and they've persisted they've persisted this far with uh with me and you james then they might be keen enough to go on an adventure and they might be thinking how do I do it and if they want to do it then I go is a great way a supported way to go on your own with family in small groups or, or however it works for you on a little adventure we organize these adventure weekends or adventure weeks with purpose all over the world so you can go and you can go and do dolphin surveys in the Azores you can go and um, do uh, brown bear, grizzly bear, wolf surveys in Romania, or you can stay closer to home in the UK. So basically, I, 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 this is very much not a sales pitch. I just want, if you are interested in adventure, then I'd love you to come on an I because I think you'd love it. And it might be your first step into, into unlocking the happiness algorithm. Um, and then uh, obviously, no, no, on. I was going to, I was going to agree with that. I think that there are, I'm sure there are many actually that, that want to, um, want to take that step but as we as we've mentioned throughout the show there's an element of fear that prevents them from doing that but by having you at hand um and and i go being able to to alleviate some of that fear we go back to that sort of uh well you provide i go adventures provides the positive foundation for them to make that step forward don't doesn't it yes james you totally nailed that <laughs> thank you very yeah. much 
you should run a podcast. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, it says I go, which is cool. Um, there's two more businesses which I'm involved in. The first one is a big heritage piece. It's really fun. In 1837, my great 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 grandfather started a brewery in Norfolk, and we have since uh, turned it into a distillery. So we produce craft, handcrafted Norfolk gin. Um, which is amazing. It's won lots of awards. It's delicious. Check it out. Um, and then the last one for me is is a massive passion project. Um, it's called City Camping. We are putting up uh, campsites, uh, secure campsites for young people in parks and green spaces around our cities uh, with a view to get people to spend a single night under canvas. It's fun. It's going to be adventurous. They'll learn something. But um, I hope that they will they'll choose choose to come on that. So those are that's sort of under my engage. And then uh, under the uh, and under the educate tab as well, you know, kind of educating people about the power of the outdoors, about you know where their food comes from, how it can affect them. There's so much to it. We could spend another hour and a half talking about it, James. But that's what I'm doing at the moment. Uh, if you want to follow along, I'd, I'd love it. I'm I'm active on Instagram at George Ballard Explorer. Uh, I have a little YouTube channel which I'm curating right now with some rubbish content, but you <laughs> you can go and have a look at that website georgeballard.co.uk um but yeah i think the, probably the best thing is just to go onto a search engine and type in george ballard and see what rubbish comes up you might have a good time doing that well there are <laughs> as i say I, I do urge everybody to to follow you on the social medias and to look at your website as well because there is i, I honestly i don't think you can grasp some of the uh some of the expeditions that george has done and and some of the you know visual um aspects of that and the pictures that he's taken as well they are truly truly breathtaking and 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 as I say and aside from that as well obviously your 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 other ventures in terms of the the bullard's gym which i think is a, we'd spoken off air about this i think is a, such an amazing uh story and the historical nature of it um just just a wonderful wonderful story for me city camping uh for for children and and adolescents massively massively back and advocate uh, advocate that because you know, I think this, as we said, as we touched on before, that secondary school period, that developmental phase that that children and adolescents are going through, is a very hectic one. If we can quieten down their brain for for periods of time, um, that gives them opportunity for growth. A lot of the children that I'm working with at the minute, obviously, are um, are, are not in school because of because of the lockdown, and you can see that actually they're beginning to connect with parts of themselves that that, that we hope for. They're beginning to develop that greater sense of self uh, a greater level of autonomy and i think it's projects like city camping that that will take that further and and long may it continue in in and get bigger and broader um across all areas of the uk so um george before we conclude show one in summary, let me let me give you a, a little bit of what I've taken from today's show um, and please add to this as well. So firstly, we've got the, the three pillars to what you stand for. We've got the inspire, engage and educate. It's everything that uh, you, you, you know, the intrinsic beliefs and values that you stand for, which I, th- I think are wonderful values. Um, and really the essence of the show for me has been about people finding a sense of satisfaction in, and, and pleasure in terms of what they do. Um, it's about beginning to harness or cultivate a level of commitment and dedication. Um, we've got this embracing the curiosity and, and the adventure with, within all of us um, and be inquisitive and, and don't allow the world to 
rationalize that out of us um, in any way. And, um, and, and the bit, the take home message for me, and certainly over the course of this week that I'll be adopting is really seeing the value in positive foundations. And although I meant to mention this earlier, but I'm, I'm pleased we've come back to it, but the, the, the positive foundation doesn't necessarily mean that it has to come through childhood. Cause I think we've all got that opportunity to begin to, um, to feed into new relationships and create a positive foundation from now, really um, finding the right people that will add value to our life. Um, but that for me, George on today's conversation has been, uh, has, has just been great. And that, that, that will be what I'm taking away from today's show. Anything to add on that, George, for the listeners to begin to, uh, implement across this week for sure <clears throat> i think the, the, the last thing i'd like to leave people with is um it is my simple a simple like abc little acronym which i love um and i think it's I, i'm gonna say if you forget everything that me and james have spoken about uh, uh, i don't care I, but one thing i'd love you to remember is my is this abc um because i think it, it does encapsulate it quite nicely so a stands for ambition right um ambition i know that lots of people out there they they have an ambition to to climb their own everest whatever that everest looks like you have an ambition you want to be somebody or you want to you have a vision for what you want to be and that is an that could be ambitious but it's an ambition to be something right i think that's a great thing to have uh, b stands for bravery right you need to be a very brave person uh, you need to have bravery and be courageous enough to stand up in, in, or be say, stand up I say, in front of your friends and family and say, you know what, this is what I really want to be. I'm ambi- I really want to, I don't know, get a pay rise. I don't know what it might be. I want to become a, anything. Just I, This is my ambition and I'm really keen to follow it. That takes the bravery bit. And, and, and C uh, stands for carpe diem and it's a Latin phrase which means seize the day. And so there's, there's no time like the present. And especially when that opportunity comes, it may knock very quietly. So listen carefully uh, because that opportunity may be knocking as we speak. Um, and I think that following that little ABC mantra and taking those opportunities, giving your best can really lead to the ultimate sense of satisfaction, fulfillment and happiness for no one else apart from yourself. Wow. What a way to end show one. Um, well, you know, look, ABC, ambition, bravery, carp DM, seize the day. Listen carefully to those moments, the potential opportunities that present themselves. Um, George Bullard, it's been an absolute pleasure and I cannot wait um, for us to get going on show two. I truly cannot wait to get going on show two. And I hope the listeners, um, as you say, have taken something or have, or, or have taken as much as I have of today's conversation, um, because I think it's been a truly uh, valuable, insightful, um, and just nourishing conversation really you're you're a, a power of positivity um and it's been yeah it's been wonderful but you know the most important person of the show i always hand over uh to to mr hanks to see what he uh thinks of the show and how he feels it's gone so mr hanks uh, your thoughts i'd say that was a pretty successful broadcast i would have to agree uh it's been wonderful um so uh you know, uh, my guest today uh, has been George Bullard. Uh, I've been James Roast. 
this has been the happiness algorithm. Please uh, ensure you tune in to show two of George Bullard's. Hopefully we'll get that up for you next week. Uh, be happy, be healthy, be safe. And uh, I will uh, speak to you soon. Phoenix FM.